Well, after his return to heaven, Jesus gave a revelation to one of his closest followers, known as the Apostle John. And in this revelation, it gives us a glimpse into both the physical and the spiritual aspect of God's realm. And it contains both literal and symbolic instruction so that we can understand how God is working in the world and in the universe and in the spiritual realm as well. And it is given to help us to be faithful to Christ and to understand his faithfulness to his plan no matter what we are going through in the particular situation that we are in the world and no matter where we live. So let's take a look at it in Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to try to read through it quickly, but we need to, to hear in John's own words as he has recorded this and written it down. So Revelation chapter 1, I'll be reading from the New International Version. Just follow along as best of, with whatever version you have. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud uh, the testimony of Christ and uh, the, the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll that you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. 
I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. <laughs> there is a lot there. What I want to focus on this morning is that last statement that Jesus made. And it really is the title of the message today. Why the lampstand? Because throughout the New Testament, we see that the church is referred to as different metaphors and, and different descriptions. But instead of using those descriptions that we see in the New Testament, Jesus describes the church or the seven churches as lampstands. So first of all, just to back up a, a little bit, Jesus himself gives John the interpretation of what the seven stars were in, in his hand, in his right hand. He said the seven stars are the seven angels of these seven churches. Well, let me back up just a little bit and say, well, what are the seven churches? The seven churches literally were local assemblies of worshipers of Jesus during this time that John was given the revelation. So they were local churches that existed in those particular towns and cities uh, that are named there. Now, they still exist today, but they're under different names, and some of them aren't any longer like a, a city as much as, uh, because it's going through a lot of changes uh, politically over all of these years. But the point is this. His message was to these particular local bodies of believers at that time that formed up uh, part of his church. So there's a message not only for these seven churches that were in existence then, but we also see that from what he speaks to those seven churches, it is relevant for really any of us as churches throughout whatever church age we go through because the issues he addressed, the principles that he addressed to each of these churches are principles that we face as churches today depending on where we're at geographically and what we are facing culturally. So it really is relevant. Now the other thing that he mentions is he says the angel or the stars in his hand are the angels to the churches. Well that's kind of interesting because that the word angel just means literally a messenger. So he's describing messengers for these local churches. Angels can be either physical people or they can be spiritual beings. We often, when we hear the term angel, we think of it strictly as a spiritual being. But that word was also used sometimes for people who were just communicating a word from God, so they were an angel from God, so to speak. So it's hard for us at times to really discern that, and you have to read the scriptures carefully so that you can tell the difference. Whichever way it is, here's the point, which is interesting to think about. Either Jesus was saying, the pastors, or my messengers at each of the churches, I'm holding them in my right hand. That's a pretty awesome thought uh, uh, to think that, okay, I am responsible for communicating God's message, so I want to make sure I'm doing it faithfully. But it's also comforting to know that God is holding us uh, in his hand as we communicate his message. So if it's that, that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. 
The other thing could be, well, what if Jesus was saying that literally there is a spiritual being, an angel that is assigned to each local assembly, each church? That's a pretty cool thought, too. Uh, I mean, think about it. What, what if there is a Porterfield angel, somebody that was assigned to this church? Um, and, and so, again, that's a bit of a mystery. He doesn't go into detail there, but he, again, is trying to reassure us that his presence is with us in more than one way. Here's the other thing. He also describes, John saw him as walking among the lampstands, which is a really cool thought. Jesus' presence is walking among us as his churches around the world. So certainly he indwells our spirit, but it's also kind of like he's just keeping an eye on all of us and how we're doing. And this is something he is communicating to John and to reassure us no matter what church age we're in or what church we're a part of, that he is among us and he's, he's got his eye on us. He's looking to encourage us where we need to be encouraged and also to correct us where we need to be corrected. But here's the thing. Why the lampstand? So just real quickly, throughout the New Testament, we see some different descriptions of the church. It's referred to as the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul uh, writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, to the believers who are at the church in Corinth. In fact, a lot of these references you're going to see, Paul is writing to the believers at the city of Corinth. But he says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So we know that as Christ's spirit is living in us, then we are to function as part of his body. We're to carry out his will here on earth. We're to be his hands, his feet, his voice. We are to serve him in the world, to be the presence of Christ to a world that desperately needs him and needs to know him. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So the church is referred to as a body. It's referred to as a field, meaning that we're to be a place where God's word can be planted in our heart, in our spirit, and then we can begin to grow like a plant would grow up out of the ground, and we are to be productive. We're to mature and bear fruit and be reproductive so that others might come to know him. And we, again, we're his presence in the world. He puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are co-workers in God's service you are God's field, God's building. So now Paul is referring to the church as a field, but then he also says that we are a building. Now this building specifically is a temple, a temple building where Christ's spirit dwells. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? You see how this confirms what Christ was showing John in the Revelation, he, he said, I'm, I'm walking among the lampstands. I am in your midst. And this is what the Apostle Paul came to realize. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. So with all of those metaphors and analogies and descriptions of the church, why didn't Jesus use one of them? Why did he say that the seven churches are seven lampstands, which implies every church is a lampstand? Well, you don't have to be a great theologian to figure this out. Think about the words of Jesus that he spoke when he walked this earth and was teaching his disciples. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
And then Jesus, in talking to his followers who had trusted in him and were receiving his spirit, he said to them in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, and here's the key, and glorify your Father in heaven. Anyone can do good works in the world. But what differentiates us as followers of Jesus is we need to make sure that as we are doing those good works, we're letting people know why we're doing those good works and who we are representing as we do those good works so that Christ might be glorified in the world and more people would be able to look to him to find fulfillment. The Apostle Paul emphasizes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I've got part of it on the screen here. Uh, I didn't include the whole passage, but just listen to it. Paul says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul is saying we're not some cult that has some secret rituals that you have to come in and be part of us and meet some certain creeds and, and then if you work your way up the organization enough, then we'll let you know our secrets and you can be part of our secret practices and experience this spiritual thing that only the elite few can experience. He says, no, we're doing this openly. God wants you to feel his spirit. He wants you to know who Christ is. And so we're speaking the truth plainly and we're commending ourselves to everyone's conscience. It's not just for a few. It's for everyone, no matter where you live or what your race is or what your social status. And then he goes on and he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. This is key. He describes the gospel here as the light that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Paul is saying, even though we have accepted Christ and we're experiencing something that's hard to describe, we're experiencing his eternal glory and his spirit that's working in us in ways that are even more than we can comprehend. We're still made up of these fleshly, corruptible bodies. Um, we get old, we age, our body decays. <laughs> Looking forward to aging, right? <laughs> so, but, but that's the truth of it. These bodies are corruptible. They, they, they get old, they break down, they decay, and eventually they die. And here's the glory of Christ and the beautiful thing that when his spirit comes in and dwells in your spirit, even though your physical body dies inside, your spirit stays alive and will live forevermore in his presence and in his glory. That is a light that this world just can't even come close to comprehending. 
And there are, as I'm getting older, um, I am kind of enjoying it in some, of, in some ways, but in other ways not so much because there's things physically that I'm not able to do that I once did maybe as easily. And there are times that even now at my age, inside I still feel like a little kid, literally. There are still things that I enjoy doing that little kids do. In fact, our grandkids now, uh, many of you know our, our family has moved back, Bethany and Steve and the kids has moved back into that area, so we're getting to be around our grandkids more. And, and I enjoy spending time with them. Uh, just, just doing things that kids do. So inside, I still feel like a little kid in a lot of ways, even though my body's getting old and breaking down. But this is the beauty of the gospel and in our spirit, that no matter what we go through in life, as we have his spirit in us, he keeps us eternally young and, and eternally um, alive and shining the light. Now, here's a word for all of us today, and I may come back to it, but I, I just feel that I really need to share this because with all that has gone on, not only just in this past week, but in the last few years especially, but let's just t say in, in the last three months and especially this past week, there has been so much ugliness and there has been so much division and there have been so many things that even followers of Jesus posting on Facebook that you really need to take a look and think about where you're putting your energy and what you're saying in light of what Jesus is teaching us here. This, I truly believe, is a word from Christ for all of us today. So I just would challenge you in this. The next time that someone posts something on Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media, Twitter or whatever, that you don't like or that makes you angry or upset, why don't you try what Paul says? We do not preach ourselves but Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. He doesn't say we're your servant if you agree with our ideology. He doesn't say we're your servants as long as you agree with us and we agree with you. He says, no, it doesn't matter. We are proclaiming that we are your servant for Christ's sake. So maybe... Instead of reacting to something you see on Facebook that upsets you, what if you post a scripture? What if maybe you post that scripture right there I just read to you? How much more impact that would have, I believe, than just trying to reiterate your point that everybody has heard thousands of times before. You see, the primary role and responsibility of the church is to share the gospel message. And I don't know if you know this or not, but if you've accepted Jesus, you're part of the church. So this, isn't, this message is not for the pastors and the staff and those Sunday school teachers. No, it's for all of us. Because if you're a member of the church, if you've accepted Christ, you are a member, so you are part of the church. And this is why it is so important. Now look what Jesus says next. After he talks about, I am walking among the lampstands and I'm keeping an eye on things, listen to what he says specifically to one church. It's in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Jesus says, you know what? When you see wickedness, when you see injustice, it's okay to speak out for that. It's okay to stand up to that. Jesus says, I know that you don't like wicked things that are in the world. 
and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. We know there's a lot of false teaching in the world. And that's one thing that holds me accountable is I want to make sure that I'm being a faithful teacher for God and his word and for Christ and not being a false teacher, not giving in to the pressures that I might feel in the world that just tempts you sometimes to want to say what you know everybody wants them to say. And you have found them false, the false apostles. Now listen to this in verse 3. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. So he's commending those in the church that are doing that. But look at this, what he says next. It's kind of frightening. He says, yet I hold this against you. In other words, we've got an issue here. We've got a problem we need to talk about. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Jesus was not talking to unbelievers. Jesus was saying this to his followers. He was telling us in the church, repent. Change your ways, change your direction. You've begun to drift. You've drifted away from me and my love. You've gotten so busy doing all of your causes and working for the things that you think are important that you've kind of left me behind. You're working for me and you're not working with me. I think that's a message for all of us in the church. I know I've experienced in my life as a pastor, and even before I was ever a pastor, I wanted to check all the boxes. So, you know, I wanted to go to church every Sunday, and I wanted to serve in different capacities in the church. And I'm great, grateful for those of you that are doing that. Don't misread me. I'm just giving a little personal testimony here. So I wanted to do all those things. And what I found after a while is I was so busy checking the boxes and doing all those things, and inside I was still feeling empty. And I had, to ha I had to be honest with God about that. And I had to make sure that my motives were being checked because I was too busy doing things for Jesus to really enjoy my relationship with Jesus. So I had to step back from a few of those things and I had to change some of my religious habits. Still staying close to Christ. There, discipline and habits are good as long as they're continuing to help you in your spiritual walk and maturity. So those are important. But sometimes we can get so caught up in that that we totally miss the point and we have wrong motivation. And this is what Jesus was addressing in the church. And he says, if you do repent and do the things you did at first, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Think about that. Jesus is calling us out and he said, if you move away, what, what is the first love? Well, well, think about individually. When you first came to receive Jesus as your Savior, the first love is, the first realization is, oh my gosh, Jesus knows all about every sin and every wrong thought and all the things that are wrong about me. He knows those things, and yet he loves me, and he gave his life for me. I am totally not worthy of that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. I want you in my life. I receive you as my Savior Help me to learn and help me to grow. That's the first love, is our connection with Christ and the wonder of it and wanting to understand and grow more and be close to him and feel his presence. But then as we begin to experience that, the next thing that we often do, part of our first love, is we tell other people about it. I mean, we do that today, right? If you eat at a good restaurant, you want to tell people, hey, that's, they got really good food there. You ought to go eat there. Or if you see a good movie, you're like, hey, that's a really good movie. You ought to watch that. Well, in our relationship with God, when you experience something really good, it's like, hey, this is really cool. You need to experience this. I would recommend that to you. 
That is the first love that the church, any church, has when they're birthed. And I believe what Jesus is addressing here is the church at Ephesus, they had walked away from that and they'd gotten so caught up in their looking after wickedness and they're trying to set people straight and they're trying to do all the right things and check all the boxes that they no longer were sharing the gospel. As a church, they were not telling other people about Christ. They were standing for their causes and against the Nicolaitans and all the things in that culture in that day that was wicked and wrong teaching and, and whatever was going on politically, they were getting caught up in all that and they were neglecting their first love, which is to share the love and the message of Christ, the gospel message. Because he's the light of the world, not your politics, not your president, not your congressperson, and all due respect, they're not the light of the world. Christ is. If they have the light of Christ in them, then they can shine the light through them just as you and I should. But Christ is the light of the world. And only if you have Christ in your life can you be the light of the world. That's the first love. And so Jesus was warning them, and, he, and it makes sense, doesn't it? When a church stops sharing the gospel, when a church gets caught up in the causes that may be good, but they're not talking about Christ and they're not trying to help people to come to know Christ and his love, then they cease to really be a church anymore. They just become another social organization like everybody else that's doing their thing and trying to have their voice heard in the world. And if we do that, Jesus says, you're not functioning anymore like you're supposed to be. You're not fulfilling my call, so I'm going to just remove your presence from that area. And it makes sense if nobody's sharing the gospel, the light's going to go out. Some of you may be wondering why I've got this up here. Well, it doesn't look much like it, but this is actually a candelabra. Uh, but you know, this candelabra is not serving any purpose right now, so it makes a really great clothes rack. I mean, it kind of reminds me of my treadmill at home. And so, you know, after a while, when something isn't functioning as it's designed to do, then we'll find other purposes for it. And that's what's happening in the world right now. There are many churches that have stopped loving Jesus, loving his word, wanting to stay true to his word, walking in relationship with him, being led of his spirit. And because of that, they're starting to get used for other functions. They're being manipulated politically. They're being manipulated culturally and we're being used for other purposes. And after a while, it just gets unrecognizable. These, uh, these are lampstands up here. They look really nice, don't they? Look, they even look religious. I've got a cross. I've got crosses on them. But you know, if the lights go out in here right now, what good are those things going to be? Nothing. No good whatsoever. Serve no function. Same way with this candelabra lights go out in here it just becomes something to stumble over just gets in the way gets aggravating oh now i'm really going to make some people mad so just like we use things in ways they weren't really designed to be used we have our causes in the church that we begin to focus on our political party Oh, some of you are already upset because I have Democrat above Republican. Um, oh, here's one. This is really popular right now. It's hard to get this stuff untangled. I think there's a sermon illustration in that. Here's a really popular one. 
Watching the NFL games yesterday, I don't know how many times I heard him say this and had advertisements about this. And you know what, social justice, it, it's really good. I mean, it's important. But why do we have to put the word social in front of it? Because social justice without God's justice just becomes justice for whoever's in power at the time. There's always going to be somebody in power that thinks what they're doing is justice and is causing other people to be oppressed. Can I get an amen? I don't know. I don't know if you get it or not. Oh, here's another one. Whoops. Oh, yeah, look at that one. I think there's a reason that one fell. <laughs> anyway, here's another one. Racism. Equality. Oh, those are, I mean, those are great buzzwords. I mean, they're not great things as far as racism. But my point is, man, we can get fired up about those causes, can't we? And we start putting all our energy into this is what people need to fix and this is what the world needs. And if we could just have a little more of this, then the world would be a better place. Oh, yeah, and I went there. Here it is. Trump and Biden. Now some of you are upset that I put Trump over Biden. <laughs> and here's my point. If any of this stuff upsets you right now, more than the fact that there's no light shining on this lampstand, then busted. You are busted by the Lord. Because the biggest issue is not these causes. The issue is there's no light shining to make a difference in the world and to show the love and the presence of Christ. So Jesus is giving us a warning that above all, above all your passions and whatever you are for, you need to make sure that you don't leave your first love and focus on the one who loved you first and gave his life for you. We can only love him because he first loved us when we were unlovely, when we were unworthy, when we were caught in our sins, when we were doing the things in our own life that now we're upset that other people are doing. And we get on our high horse and we get on our religious cause and we don't love people like Christ called us to love them. Micah addressed this issue in the Old Testament about justice. It is important. Micah 6.8, he says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. We need to work for justice in the world and causes. But again, social justice without God's justice or a knowledge of God's justice is never going to solve the problem because the problem is a heart issue. It's a spiritual issue. To act justly, and then here's the second one, to love mercy. That means when somebody has offended you or you feel like somebody has done something to hurt you, mercy means I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to offer forgiveness and I'm going to grant you mercy. Oh, we love that when we're the one that needs mercy, right? But what about if somebody's pleading mercy from you? Are you willing to give it? To act justly and to love mercy. And then here's the one that we cannot forget, the third one. And to walk humbly, humbly with our God. You cannot leave out the relationship with God or none of this stuff is going to work. And we can't do it arrogantly and proudly. We need to do it humbly. There are a lot of causes right now that a lot of pride a lot of pride is mixed up in it. And as followers of Christ, we're to set a different example. 
we're to work for Christ primarily, and then as we do those other things that are good and helpful, we're to do it with humility. You see, it's only Christ that can really bring us together as one around the world. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, because at his time, what was facing the church was the people who had been circumcised and under the Jewish laws were now beginning to accept people into the church that weren't growing up as Jewish or Israeli. They were from all these other nations and all these other cultures. They weren't circumcised. They weren't doing all the religious things that was in God's word, but Christ had given them a new covenant now in his blood. And he said, if you follow me and you put your trust in me and you're seeking to live by my spirit, you are my church and I am making you one. And so the Apostle Paul had to remind the church at Galatia these things. And he says this, so in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3 verses 26 and 28, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Listen to this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But every single one of those things are things that we could get divisive over, aren't they? I mean, you know, Jew and Gentile, I'm going to make people mad, but it's just the truth. Today, you know, he could say this, uh, there's neither Democrat nor Republican. Hmm. You can put your own words in there, but what I'm saying is in Christ, we are one. We need to see one another. But that means no matter which side of the aisle you're on or whatever cause you're standing for, if your cause is greater than the cause of Christ and the gospel, then you're missing it, and that speaks to all of us. It's only the presence and the work of Christ in our life that truly can bring about life change that matters. Because this life is temporary, And this life will soon be over for all of us physically. And then for an entire eternity, we're going to be living in a realm that none of us have really ever experienced. And Christ wants us to be prepared for that now. So he wants us to trust him and to love him and know that that is the most important issue that you need to be talking to people about. Because all of us are going to die at some point, some of us sooner than later. And I don't know who that is. That's in God's hands. But the thing that matters is the gospel because that's eternal and not even death will separate you or I from the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation, not your cause, not what you get passionate about that's outside of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. In Philippians 2, 9 through 16, just listen to this. I want to work through this quickly because it's, it's really important. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name, this is talking about Jesus, that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's not about your culture, it's not about your sex, it's not about your political party. You're not going to bow to those things eternally. You will bow to Christ. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, 
See how it's spoken in love. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul didn't say work for your salvation. That's been done by Jesus. You're saved by what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary through his atoning death for your sins, his powerful and glorious resurrection that justifies you with God, makes you right with God, and that that work is finished but what Paul says as we receive that gift we do have to learn how to work it out or in other words how how am I going to live this out in this crazy world and the only way we can do that is to stay close to the one who has saved us so he goes on and he says this in verse 14 and this is a tough one do everything 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 without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. We need to hold firmly to the gospel message and to the teachings of Christ, the word of life. Look at what a difference these candle stands make when they actually begin to function for what they were designed to do. I mean, even with this place lit up the way it is, I would dare say, I can't be from the back, but can you all see what's happening up here? Does it look a little different? Look at what a difference something makes when it functions as it's designed to do. Now, these lampstands not only are pretty to look at, but they serve a function. If the lights went out in here now, you'd be able to see. At least you'd know how to get up here. <laughs> you'd know how to get toward the light. And this is the way it is in the church. We need to make sure that our primary focus is sharing the light of Christ, the gospel message, that none of us deserve his love. None of us deserve his forgiveness. We're all guilty of sin of whatever kind. So many. And yet God in his love gave his life for you and rose again so that you might experience his mercy and his grace. And Jesus did it all with such humility. Being humble doesn't mean weak and powerless. It means that you're making a choice with your power to react with others in a gentle and humble way. And this is what Jesus did. And this is what we need to make sure that we're doing as we communicate the gospel. The Apostle Paul says this, and as we teach his word. The Apostle Paul says this, writing to Timothy, who was getting ready to become a pastor of a church, and uh, Paul was preparing him in, in his work. He was already helping Paul in ministry. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And this is what I'm trying to do today as the Lord has spoken to me and what I'm trying to share with you, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we must never abandon the light of the gospel in Jesus Christ. This scripture passage, John writes, and just listen to what he says. It'll be on the screen. First John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all 
sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the message that we need to be proclaiming. And it's the light that we need to be holding forth in our conversations and what you post on social media. In fact, the next time somebody posts something that really gets under your skin and ires you about their particular cause or whether they're in agreement with you or not, how about posting this scripture I just read to you? 1 John 1, 5 through 9, let them read. Let that be your response. Let them argue with God. You don't need to argue with them. Just represent Christ, if indeed Christ is in you. And if he's not, all you got to do is open your life to him and your heart and receive him. This, I want to close with this today. I wasn't sure if I was going to do it or not. But this is an example of how we can respond to, to things on social media and let our voice be heard and still share the light of Christ. Christina Franks is uh, one of the members of our church, and she does several uh, blogs. She really has a gift. She does devotions throughout the week, and it's amazing sometimes just the stuff that, that flows out of her. And she just tries to take everyday things and then apply Scripture to it and, and what she's doing in her own life. And so I would encourage you to, uh, to check out her, her blog that she does. But this is what she posted on January 7th. So that was right after everything that happened uh, this week in D.C. She writes, Funny, this passage came up in my Bible reading this morning following yesterday's events in D.C. It's from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. As God's slaves, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. She writes, a couple of things jumped out to me. First, silence the ignorance of foolish people. Since the beginning of time, and more particularly since March of 2020, people have opinions, strong opinions. And as we've seen, we all think, if you don't share in those same opinions, you must be ignorant. There doesn't seem to be a gray area, and there doesn't seem to be much room for discussion or respectful debate. Half of our country thinks the other half are ignorant fools, and vice versa. Well said. <laughs> So how do we silence the ignorance when we don't really know who the foolish people are? Peter tells us by doing good. It doesn't matter who these people are, Christians have a responsibility to do good. The foolish will be revealed as we do that said good. So how do we do good? A lot of people probably think they're doing good now. But as our nation continues to grow angry, hostile, violent, it doesn't feel like any good is being done. Peter tells us as God's slaves. That's how we show goodness to an evil world. We act in a way that shows who we are called to be, God's slaves. We live in freedom because of the hope we have in Christ, but we use that freedom to witness, to encourage, to win hearts for the Lord. Do your acts of goodness reflect your slavery to Christ? Then maybe you need to rethink how you show others him. Finally, we are to honor everyone. I know, I know, she writes, that's a tall order. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're called to be respectful to all. That means your neighbor who voted for Trump. That means your friend who supports Biden. 
That means your family members that post about BLM, defund the police, LGBTQ rights, or COVID-19 vaccines and masks. Peter didn't say honor only those who think like you. That would be pretty easy. He said God calls us to do better, to be better, and that means honoring everyone, even our current and future president. My point is to reiterate what we know is true. God's word and the passages found in it lead us to live a life worthy of being God's slave. So work on things, work on these things today. Do good, be respectful, and pray for our great nation. I thought that was well said. And it communicates, it communicates what I'm trying to share with you in the message today. So I'm going to have the praise team come on up, and I'm going to pray. And then as the song is sung, I'm going to begin to help this object right here, even with all the stuff hanging on it, I'm going to begin to let it serve for the function that it was intended, uh, intended and designed to do. And just let that speak to you about what's going to draw the most attention. Lord, thank you for your word that keeps us centered on you in the midst of a messed up world. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you and help us to repent. Help us to come back to you as our first love and experiencing that love in our life and then sharing the simple gospel message of your love and the difference you can make so that as we do good, we can let people know why we're doing it and who we're doing it for and we can point them to you because the stuff of this world right now that we're going through, remind us, is so temporary, but you are eternal. So help us to focus on what really matters for all eternity for us and others. In your precious name.